Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the 21st episode of Riverdale Season 6, The Stand. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and once again, I'm by myself. This is probably going to be a shorter podcast episode. I know, I know. Where's Kirsten? Where's the fun? But don't worry, she'll be back next time for the finale, I promise. But as I said last podcast, Kirsten has been moving and my schedule has been a little bit crazy with relatives visiting. So this is where we are. We're just going to have a solo podcast update today, but it's still going to be fun because I had a great time watching this episode. I really, really liked it. I thought it was really interesting. I loved the fact that it was very chronological. Everything kind of just was one big plot line, which If you've been listening to the Riverdale recap (laughs) for this long, you probably know I love it when I can just take notes straight through and podcast about everything in one long bit without having to jump around into all the different plot lines. So this was fun. This was great. I think this was a very like merry episode. Like uh, I feel like they were trying to give me something I would like. Uh, Statistically in the past, I've really, really liked the big like battle episodes that happen second to last episode of certain seasons. I know we had a conversation about this recently about how the finale of each season is more about something else that's been going on or setting up the next season, but the penultimate episode is the one where they kind of deal with the big bad of that season. And so since the big bad of most of this season was Percival Pickens, we really kind of deal with him in this episode. And then by the end, we're kind of leading into the Comet situation, which I guess is going to be like the big finale for next episode. So I think there's still some questions in the air about exactly where the finale is going to go, what's going to happen. We have some of that like future stuff that Tabitha has seen, and so we need to see if that's going to be relevant, etc. But since this is an episode for Mary, targeted at Mary, of course, we start off with what I think might be the longest Jughead voiceover we've ever had. It's not just a voiceover, it's basically an introduction and a narration of everything that happens in the whole beginning of the episode, so I'm going to go through and read it because of course I am thoroughness. This is what you come here for, me reading Jughead voiceovers. <laughs> Let me see if I, do I have a Jughead voice? I really don't think I do. I mean, according to <laughs> to Betty, I don't really have any good voices. I'm Betty. I mean, according to uh, Kirsten about my Betty voice, none of them are that great, but let's see what I can do. This may be the last article I ever write. Either I might not be here tomorrow, or the town might not be, or both of us might be gone. Our villain's name is Percival Pickens. He's an immortal, interdimensional sorcerer whose power is growing by the hour. He wants to claim Riverdale or destroy it, depending on the outcome of a war that we're literally predestined to lose. In advance of our battle, Percival shut down the town's borders to keep people from leaving. Yes, but mostly to keep help from arriving. But the truth was no one was coming. No one knew what was happening outside the town. Riverdale was a sealed-off ecosystem. We were on our own. Not that we were giving up. We had Archie Andrews, who had served two tours of duty in the U.S. Army, leading us, planning our counteroffensive. Step one, mitigate the sources of Percival's power. It turns out, Pops had been built over a hellmouth, which ever since we moved the diner, uncorking it, has been feeding Percival's strength. So we had to seal and sanctify the hellmouth with, in this case, a sacred object, like the Holy Grail, to 
catch the escaping darkness. Step two, raid his outposts, though on this front, Percival was a step ahead of us. We were preparing for a combat as best we could, given the horrific blow we'd already been dealt. Tom Keller, Frank Andrews, and Alice Cooper had been decapitated as prisoners of war. Okay, a couple things here. First off, we circle back to that whole Hellmouth situation that we learned from the previous episode, and I really thought that this was going to be like demons escaping from the Hellmouth, but apparently it's just been sort of powering Percival Pickens. Uh, I do like the fact that we went back to a way earlier episode when they got the Holy Grail, and they're like, hey, the Holy Grail, turns out it has nothing to do with Tabitha's time travel or whatever, and it can't defeat Percival, but at least it can cork up this Hellmouth? I I don't really know. I mean, the whole thing about Pops being above this Hellmouth as a sort of pseudo-religious area in order to keep the demons at bay, I don't know how much I buy that because it seems like you would think, is it like, is it the building of Pops that they need? Is it the decorations? Is it, is it the functioning diner? What is it that they need in that building? Because we keep moving Pops and it doesn't really seem to change anything with the Hellmouth. I mean, I guess, I guess just like people not being there, the spirit of Pops or whatever, that's a little bit unclear. I'm not really sure what that's about. Um, Also, I really liked the idea that they were shutting down the town's borders again, as everyone remembers of the really important time they did that back when Hiram closed the town borders to quarantine the town, which (laughs) served no purpose. We literally ended a season with like or the I think it was the mid-season break where it's like oh the town has been sealed up and then they come back in part two of the season and like never mind we're not we're not gonna talk at all about what happened there so that's something that I guess we can start off with as as a jumping off point in that season I was just talking about I don't remember what that was season three I think Back in season three, when they had quarantined the town. Oh gosh, so, so annoying. They quarantined the town and they're like, it's going to be a big deal. We're going to talk about how this quarantine and the town being its separate thing is going to be so important. And we finish the mid-season break on that. And when we come back a few months later, it's like, and the town was open again. And we missed all of that. We didn't get to see the reveal, see any of the reflection of what the characters had to deal with at that time. Why was the quarantining of the town important? Much like this episode, we completely skip over, and I think I talked about this in last podcast, we completely skip over Percival's reaction to finding out that they all have come back to life. He sort of hints at it and mentions it in one line, which I'll get to later, but I I was nervous about that last time. I was like, the fact that we had the Witching Hour episode, and then we had a separate episode called Return to Rivervale, where Percival does not find out about them coming back to life, I was really worried that we were not going to ever get it then. We were not going to get a big moment. And it's kind of pointless because the whole reason in the previous episode, Return to Rivervale, that we, like, that everyone was kind of keeping hold up was like, because they want the element of surprise. But then we completely don't get the element of surprise because it seems like Archie just at some point in between then reaches out to Percival and is like, hey, so when are we going to meet up about the battle? It's like, why don't we get this moment. This is something that we really want. And we don't even get like a Jughead voiceover saying, Percival was shocked when he found out that we were back. It's like all we needed was that one little shocked moment and we don't get any of it. It's very, very sad. Anyway, what are you, you going to do? You know, <laughs> there was no, there was no uh, video camera in the back of the Hiram portrait either. All right, so let's get into the episode. It's pre-war prep time. They captured the darkness from the Hellmouth below Pops in the Holy Grail, talked about that, 
And then they're going to torch Percival's shop, uh, even though there's not really much left in there, but Cheryl's going to set it on fire. And I like how Reggie does have the foresight to take the Hiram portrait out of it. I'm going to hope that in the next episode, we're going to see a scene of him like giving that to Veronica, some sort of like good faith thing. Maybe that will have to do with, I don't know, maybe that'll have to do with Hiram coming back to life. People have been throwing that idea around a lot, but I kind of feel like that's probably not going to happen. And then we have a scene of Polly trying to comfort Betty about losing Alice. Um, Polly implies that Betty, that Alice is in a better place now and tells Betty not to let the rage consume her. But Betty's like, the rage is all I have. I need to let, I need this to fuel me. So Polly says Cheryl might be able to resurrect their mom and the others with her phoenix power, but they need to go get the bodies back. So that's kind of important. Fangs and Tony comfort Kevin about his dad's death. Moose comes back into town uh, before the border's closed, and then Veronica chats with Archie about Uncle Frank dying. I think this is interesting that we are having Betty and Archie not comfort each other, but that Polly is comforting Betty and Veronica is comforting Archie. I know that maybe the Barchi shippers will like this idea. I don't really know where I stand on this whole 50-50 thing that Tabitha brought up between Archie and Veronica being together or Archie and Betty being together. I don't really know what side I'm on. I'm, I haven't formulated any final thoughts, I think, on where I want any of these relationships to go. I think I've settled on the idea that I like Kevin and Moose together. It's funny because I really, really was full on Kevin and Moose. And then when they switched to Kevin and Fangs, we kind of fully jumped on that bandwagon. But I've heard some predictions that maybe Fangs is going to die and that will open the door for Tony and Cheryl to get back together because a lot of people are also rooting for that. I don't think Heather's doing it for me. Like, I don't think that Heather is where I want Cheryl to end up. I don't know. It's just Cheryl like, spent so much more time with Tony, but I like that Tony's getting her own plots. Ugh, so frustrating. Can't, can't decide. I want everybody to be together. And that's, that's my other thing. It's like, I really like Jughead and Betty together as characters, but I also really like Tabitha, so... I don't know. So Archie says that Frank would have told him to focus his energy on the fight ahead based on the fact that Frank was also a soldier. I don't know. I mean, do we really want to be using Frank's experience as a reason for Archie to do something? Like Frank was also a mercenary, so I don't know. So then meanwhile, Archie is having Heather and Cheryl research hey, uh, Bailey's comet and look for some sort of spell to block the energy that Percival might be absorbing from the comet. But when Veronica comes to comfort him, him, he says, hey, I actually, it's great that you're here. I want you to come meet with Percival with me because you're really good at negotiation. Um, is she? Have we seen any moments of her being particularly good at negotiating anything? Like, she does scams. That's not really, I don't know, like, when has she ever, like, talked her way out of something? So the whole group meets up. Betty doesn't think it's a good idea for Archie and Veronica to go to Percival because they're walking right into the belly of the beast. I agree with Betty in this moment, but I also don't really understand why Percival doesn't like take advantage of this moment. We'll get to it. Veronica says they're trying to get the bodies back, and that's sort of their number one priority at this point is getting the bodies of their loved ones back so Cheryl can use her phoenix power to bring them back. And they're talking about like, well, Percival's certainly not going to give us these bodies for free. So like, what kind of things can we bargain with? And Veronica suggests offering Percival half of Riverdale, but Jughead's going to shoot this idea down. He doesn't want a South Side versus North Side again, which I guess implies that either the South Side and North Side don't, like that distinction doesn't exist anymore. 
or and that it's all one Riverdale or just that they both are coexisting right now. Cheryl once again brings up the idea of just murdering Percival. She's like, why can't we just burn him up? But Tabitha says it's too risky. Given the apocalyptic future she's seen, maybe Cheryl's the one who causes that. So Tabitha tells Archie and Veronica that of the two successful scenarios out of like thousands that she saw, one of them involved Archie and Veronica chatting with Percival pre-battle and shooting him. She says that he's immortal, not invulnerable. Now, this is a big distinction that I still don't think the episode explains well, but I guess the idea is that he can be hurt, but he's not going to die from that pain. So like they could shoot him, but that might just sort of incapacitate him for a little bit or might hurt him for a little bit. Um, that theory I think is going to fall down in a little bit, but like normally when I think of immortal versus invulnerable, immortal to me means you could be killed. Like if you got shot, you would die, but that you would just sort of live forever if you, barring any kind of magical, or not magical, but barring any kind of uh, horrific accident, otherwise you would just live forever. You either can't age or you could age, but you're not going to die of natural causes. That's like the distinction I make, but it seems here that it's more like, oh, he can't die uh, from natural causes, and I guess he's just not getting any older, but he also can be hurt by a, a gun? Unclear. Now, they keep talking about this, like, one of two successful scenarios. I don't know why she never brings up what the second scenario is. They just sort of are deciding to flip a coin and go with this one. So Archie and Veronica go to the ghoulies. At first, I was confused about, like, what was happening in the scene, but later on the episode, I realized, like, oh, the ghoulies are just in the Babylonium. So like Percival sort of moved all his troops there. And I had the exact same thought that <laughs> Veronica did, which was like, wait, I thought all the ghoulies had died. But apparently Twyla Twist is still alive. And um, I thought that this whole thing was that they were going to ask her for a gun or something. And, but no, they're just like, they must have gotten the gun from somewhere else. Um, but Veronica asked Twyla, like, how are you guys all still alive? And she's like, look around. And uh, these ghoulies are all like new mind control towns members, like Weatherby, Dr. Curdle Jr., and some woman who I don't know who it is, but they zoom in on her and I feel like we're supposed to know. I feel like it might have been the um, social worker that we see a lot with Tony and baby Anthony. I think that might have been who it was. Unclear. Twyla says, maybe you shouldn't have blown up his ghost train. So I guess the implication there was like, Percival got mad that you prevented him from getting all the souls from the of the dead. So he just mind controlled more townspeople. But like, wasn't he going to mind control the townsfolk anyway? I don't know. That seemed easier. Like, why'd you need the ghost train. I don't know. So they meet with Percival and Percival says that his body has been coated with some kind of sealant to prevent Veronica's venom. Okay. Like this just again begs the question of like, why does Percival know about her venom? How did he figure that out so quickly? Why couldn't, you know, she have killed him way back when her venom first showed up? But uh, they just don't want to be bad or whatever, even though they're going to like later attack him and try to kill him, I guess. So they offer Archie in exchange for the dead bodies back, but Percival's like, yeah, I don't need Archie. Um, I have a mace forged in the fiery pits of Asgard, which is strong enough to break forged skin along with the daggers of Megiddo. Okay, so he has these weapons that can hurt Archie, but the weapons can also hurt him apparently because we know the dagger can hurt him. 
So that just seems a little bit risky to bring those to the battle, but okay. I don't know why Percival doesn't just try to kill Archie in this scene. Like that would have made a lot more sense to me, but he doesn't. So Percival decides he doesn't need to negotiate with them because he just wants to win. He asks them to uh, step down and surrender, but they're like, no, we're not going to. So Veronica tries to shoot Percival, but the gun is a fake and it shoots out flowers. I'm assuming this was some sort of magic trick that Percival did and not like that they had accidentally brought with them a gun that shoots out flowers. You know what I mean? Like one of those like prop guns that you would see like a, I don't know, a clown have or like a magician. I'm not sure. So Percival is going to give them three caskets of their dead and they're a little suspicious of this move. And uh, Percival like is talking to Twyla and Twyla is a little bit like, what are you going soft on me? Like, why are you giving them the dead? And he says, Archie and his friends ruined my plans for them to die, so I'm going to ruin their plans for their dead. That's the only line in the whole episode we get that reveals that Percival recognized the fact that Archie and the others died and then came back to life. I just, I wanted some shock. I don't think it's too much to ask for to be like, hey, there was this giant thing that happened where everyone died and then came back to life. That should shock the guy who killed them. But it didn't. And so I guess he somehow put together that Cheryl, or at least one of them, has the ability to bring their dead back to life and so by giving them the caskets back with what we're going to find out all the heads missing he's trying to foil their plans to bring their dead back to life uh, the same way that they brought back everyone else again i understand the thought here but i'm just kind of annoyed that (laughs) it's like don't give someone a lock and key and not want them to put it together, just don't create the lock and key in the first place. Like, why didn't Percival just destroy these bodies even more? But instead, he just sort of kept the heads so that they would be sad to have the bodies and not be able to bring them back immediately. But it, like, doesn't ruin the plans forever. Maybe he was planning on bringing those bodies back at some point if he's able to defeat the rest of them. That's really the only thing I can come up with logically is, like, he wants Alice and Frank and Tom Keller back, and so he's going to keep the bodies and the heads so that he could somehow bring them back to life. But it's not even clear whether or not he also has that ability. As far as I know, he doesn't have the Phoenix power. So over at Jughead and Tabitha's household, Tabitha is begging Jughead to leave town. She reminds him that he doesn't survive the final battle, but Jughead says he isn't going to leave her. He came back from the dead in order to help defeat Percival. And she's like, yeah, I knew you would say that. I saw you say that in all the scenarios, but I still had to try. He says he loves her. It's a cute, sweet moment. this moment and then another one later was really making me feel like, wait, are they just going to kill Jughead at the end of the season? And they're just trying to like get us ready for that idea. Meanwhile, Percival is prepping for a stealth attack before the agreed upon time, which he had told Veronica and Archie in the other scene that they would start this battle at 8.30 p.m. He also said, I'm going to start the battle at 8.30 wherever the diner is. So like he picked the battle place. I guess that's kind of convenient for the rest of the episode, but my guess is that if they had come up with this plan, they could have just told him, like, hey, actually, change of plans, we're meeting at the diner. I think he probably is confident enough that he's going to win, that he doesn't really care where they meet. So Percival is chanting over some dolls. I didn't really get a great look at the dolls, except that one was very clearly like a corpse that was stitched back together, and another one looked like uh, Reggie. My guess is that the other two, one is going to look like Veronica's grandmother, and another one is going to look like Jason, probably. Okay, so all of these next scenes are happening 
simultaneously. And I'm just gonna go through them one by one, even though we get kind of the setup for each of these and then the destruction and then the fallout in that order, but I'm just gonna go through each separate one. So first, Archie is discussing his plans for the battle with Reggie. He said his plan is that they're going to hide in Fox Forest because they're just kind of sitting ducks in town in their houses. Reggie starts acting a little suspicious and kind of smiling and Bingo starts growling at him. So it's pretty clear that Bingo thinks that Reggie is up to something. So Reggie is going to stab Archie with one of Percival's daggers, which even though Archie is forged, I guess the daggers also hurt him, much like the mace <laughs> is going to, at least that uh, Percival implied. So they're fighting and Reggie keeps stabbing Archie like many, many times, but Archie is able to kind of knock him unconscious by like putting his arm up against his throat. I'm kind of surprised that Archie didn't just have the strength to like grab the dagger out of his hand so he's not continually getting stabbed while this is happening. But I guess maybe after being stabbed once, it was a little too much to deal with. Meanwhile, Betty is telling calling on the phone with Polly and she's like, I want to be alone after the situation with seeing my mom's corpse without a head. But she hears something downstairs. So she goes downstairs and sees a sort of chopped up and stitched together version of Glenn, which we can assume he's all chopped up because he his body was um, killed by the trash bag killer. So I guess I guess that really happened. But he's kind of stitched together and he comes at Betty with like one of those electric meat carvers. So Betty kind of knocks him out with, I think like a, a vase and then runs to the garage where she powers up a chainsaw real quick and Glenn comes in and we don't see it, but later we're gonna see bits of Glenn sort of twitching in the garage. I don't know why he's still twitching, I guess just because he's a magical reanimated zombie corpse. And then Polly's gonna come over to check on Betty and Betty's kind of sitting there a little shell-shocked, like explaining what happened to Polly. And I thought Polly looked like really concerned, like, ooh, maybe my sister is a serial killer and does have a lot of darkness in her. But we never circle back to Polly. So it seemed like Polly at least had a, a decent reaction there. I still don't know how to feel about the whole Polly thing. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that more in just a second here because it's a little confusing with what else is going on. Veronica is going to hear a knock at her door and the voice of her abuelita asking to come in. Uh, but then when she looks through the peephole, Abuelita has a shotgun, starts shooting at the door, yells at Veronica for killing both Hiram and Geraldo, and Veronica is going to secrete a neurotoxin on the door handles of the bathroom, hide in the bathtub, and then when the Abuelita comes in, she gets paralyzed from touching it. She says, this poison won't kill you, but it'll paralyze you. So I guess Veronica like has the ability to create multiple toxins at this point, not just ones that will kill. That's pretty amazing. Veronica is going to explain everything to her grandmother, who's very understanding about all of it. It seems like all of the people, by the way, who are like Reggie and the grandmother, they sort of come to and they're like, yeah, I, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I heard a voice in my ear telling me I needed to do this and I felt compelled to do it, but I don't remember anything else that happened. So yeah, that was just the spell that Purcell put on them. I didn't even think Abuelita was in Riverdale. I thought she lived like really far away or at least at least somewhere else in New York, but I thought it might've even been like, was it Florida or somewhere wherever um, Hermosa lived? I kind of thought it was maybe in that area. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. So Cheryl and Heather are researching about the comet and Heather's like, oh my gosh, we made an incorrect assumption about the comet, but we don't get to hear any more about that for a second because Jason comes in with a bow and arrow and he's like, share, share, let's go play. And Cheryl's like, yeah, I'm kind of busy right now, Jason. And then Jason shoots Heather, Cheryl runs away. And then she's crying, telling Jason that he's being controlled by a sorcerer. 
and she starts apologizing to him. And then I thought this was like very out of character. She apologizes for bringing him back to life and then burns him. Okay, many questions. We've seen that both Abuelita and Reggie are going to come sort of come to from being mind controlled after being knocked out. Why doesn't Cheryl even bother trying to knock Jason out? Like, because she does not bring herself to do it, but she's going to kill him. Does she not have any sort of ability where she could just like burn him a little bit, you know, to kind of like break him free from this spell? Is she realizing that maybe she just made a mistake and Jason's never going to be the same? Is she worried this might happen again? It's all very unclear, but yeah, so I guess I guess Jason's gone. Uh, that also begs the question, like, is Polly going to be upset about this? I don't know if we're going to get any of this in the next episode. My guess is we're not going to get any fallout from this, but I think it's important. Like, geez, if I was Polly, I'd be a little mad. So Cheryl's comforting Heather and sort of nursing her while I guess Heather has like a arrow wound in her shoulder. And she asks about the comet, which we're going to find out in a little bit. The situation with the comet is just that it's coming a day later than they thought. Like they thought it was coming tomorrow, but it's actually coming in two days. I, this never amounts to anything. It, so I think the idea is just if the comet had been coming in two days, Percival would have gained even more power. But Percival is aware. It's like it's not like they tricked him or like that he's unaware that the comet's off on the date. Like seems like he's aware of it and he just decides to try and fight them a day early. I think the only significance about the whole comet situation is that they need the ending with the comet coming towards Riverdale. And so they just needed to postpone the comet until after the fight. But it doesn't explain why Percival decided to fight them without just waiting one extra day. So Tabitha has a heightened awareness for the souls of Riverdale. And she says she can feel one is dying. So she runs over to Archie's house where Bingo is licking Archie's wounds. And I guess Bingo has magical healing properties that heal Archie. So Bingo isn't just healing, able to heal his own legs and his own self but he can also heal other people. So Fangs, Moose, and C Tony come up with a plan, and then Tony comes over and shares that plan with Tabitha, Archie, and Reggie. And she says, okay, so here's the situation. We have a saying among the, the serpents, which is always kill a baby snake in its egg so it doesn't grow up to bite you. And she says that basically Percival is like super afraid of Anthony because Anthony is also immortal, and so he can outlast the rest of them, grow up, and eventually be a threat to Percival maybe defeat him later. So Percival wants to kill him as a baby. So Tony says, we need to break into the Babylonium with Anthony and the serpents will defeat the ghoulies. And meanwhile, Anthony will murder Percival. And they're like, wait, how is Anthony going to murder Percival? And she's like, well, Tabitha can find a way to speed up time for baby Anthony only so that he can grow up quickly and defeat Percival. Basically, like in the movie Old. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, she's like, yeah, we're gonna miss his childhood, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make so that we can try to get the heads of Alice and Tom and Frank, or, uh, yeah, and Frank. Like, is this your decision to make? And also, we don't mention it at all, but, like, can she reverse time to de-age him? Because I feel like that would be pretty cool. I love when Reggie is like, damn, that's some Looper-level crap, which I guess it is. I mean, not really. It's not really what Looper is about. Like, Looper is about time travel, but it's about, like, killing your future self or your past self. It's not really about, like, speeding up your own aging. But anyway, it's another kind of frustrating thing with the whole, like, I mean, much like how Veronica is able to secrete certain types of toxins now, Tabitha is able to just be like, yeah, let me just try it. Isn't like, she's an angel, but she also has some sort of time travel abilities. And apparently she can also sense the souls 
in Riverdale. Like, she's just getting very OP, if you ask me. But much in the same way that in the previous episode, Tabitha, while in Rivervale, like, put the other Tabitha in a time loop. Apparently, she can just do all sorts of things with time. I don't know why they don't just ever discuss, like, slowing down times. They have more time to plan or going back in time. Like, I guess I would have thought when they were saying here the, like, idea of killing the baby snake and its egg so it doesn't grow up to bite you, I thought the suggestion was going to be, Tabitha, why don't you put Percival in, like, some sort of de-aging time loop, de-age him or go back 440 years to where he's not immortal and then we can kill him. Like, I thought that was going to be the plan, but I guess maybe they're just like, well, we can't get Percival in a room with Tabitha for her to do this or he would find out or whatever. So I guess this is the next best thing. So they go to the El Royale and they age up <laughs> baby Anthony and hey, look, he's adult Anthony from from the like sweet hereafter stuff. I don't know. I, it's like it's the same actor. It's just weird then hearing things be like, son, is that you? Come on out. And it's like, okay, but, <laughs> but you're like definitely the same age now or close to it. I don't know. It's just something weird about the whole situation. I don't like it. I hope they de-age baby Anthony in the next episode. Also because I'm just used to calling him baby Anthony at this point. I don't want to call him like teen Anthony or adult Anthony. So Jughead and Tabitha have another talk where Jughead's like, don't mourn me after I die. I've lived a wonderful life. I've fallen in love. To which I was like, wait, is he talking about Betty or is he talking about Tabitha? Maybe both. Because he says that first. And then he says, I've published a book. I've gone to an alternate universe and met other versions of myself. And Tabitha's like, wait, alternate universes? That's right. In all the scenarios, I've only concentrated on trying to figure out if we can defeat Percival in Riverdale. But now that we have access to River Vale, maybe it'll work there. This is also when Cheryl tells Archie about the comet and that she's like, it's not coming till tomorrow night. And he's like, okay, well, I guess we got to hope that the serpent's plan works before tomorrow night. And Cheryl's like, yeah, I guess so. And sort of claps him on the shoulder and walks away. And I was like, wait a second, what was the tone of that conversation? Like, I think you told him a positive thing, but you guys were so somber in it. I can't really tell. So then this is interesting. Twilight Twist tells Percival like, hey, you know, I don't know about this whole fight thing. Like the newbie ghoulies, since they're all just like mind controlled, they might not be up for a fight. They might not win. And Percival's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They're just cannon fodder. And so are you, my sweet or my love or something something like that. And that at that point, I was like, Twyla, why are you on board with this? Like, get out. And also, Percival, why aren't you mind controlling Twyla? Like, I guess just because she's willing to be on your side. But why are you like trying to you're not even trying with her. You're just like, yeah, you mean nothing to me. Like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised Twyla doesn't bother trying to leave at that point. I mean, I know she probably thinks it's like pointless, but hint, Twyla may or may not last much longer. So the serpents burst in and are going to fight the ghoulies. And Tony throws some throwing stars at Twyla's face. I don't know if Twyla dies here or what, but this is like the second time we've seen Tony fight the leader of the ghoulies because she also murdered that other lady, the one, you know, the, you know, the, the blonde lady who we saw multiple times. It's like one episode a long time ago where the ghoulies and the serpents were fighting. It was like the Jughead voiceover opening to an episode and Tony just like straight up murders someone, like shoots her. And I'm like, wait a second. And we were all like, wait, how can she be a guidance counselor if she just like murdered someone in town? <laughs> Tony might be the only person who's murdered multiple people, like apropos of nothing. I mean, I get it. They're in different gangs, but like it wasn't like supernatural. It wasn't like a serial killer chasing after her. Like she's just kind of murdered people casually. It's it's very, it's very odd. 
So I don't know if Twyla died here or not, but she definitely got some throwing stars to the base. And then Kevin is going to rush into the room with Percival, like his office, with Anthony, like grown Anthony. Why is Kevin going first? Because Percival just immediately shoots Kevin. I'm like, Kevin, you're not invulnerable. Like, why were you going in front? Like, Anthony should have gone front. Why were you going in there at all? Was it just to, like, have a couple seconds for Percival to, like, not understand who Anthony was? So Percival tries to shoot Anthony a couple times, but nothing happens. And so this is very confusing again. It's like, is he immortal or is he invulnerable or both? Because Anthony doesn't even seem to be in any pain from getting shot. And Anthony's going to say like, yeah, I'm just like you. I'm your equal. I'm immortal. And that's when Percival's like, oh, you're Anthony. First off, why are you telling him this? You should just like, like Anthony should have just walked in that room the second he gets shot just throw the dagger at Percival like that's what should have happened but instead he's like explaining to him who he is what his plan is to kill Percival how he has the dagger which gives Percival plenty of time to escape you should have just killed him right away this was so so frustrating and it also just doesn't explain like if Anthony can't get hurt by being shot why were they ever gonna try shooting Percival in the supposed potential winning scenario it's just very odd. So Percival sits in his office chair, spins around, disappears, but his clothes are still there. So I guess he's just naked somewhere. And he reappears like outside the door. I don't know what this is. Like the door to the casino. Does the casino have, it must have like a foyer or something because he's not outside of a building, but he's outside of a door and he magically seals the door. So then RGG briefs everyone about what happened. He's like, yeah, Kevin's been injured, but they're trying to work on it. Percival escaped, but the serpents beat the ghoulies. They're all looking for the heads yet, but they haven't found them. Percival locked the rest of them inside the casino. So... Unfortunately, we're not going to have any more help from Kevin, Moose, Anthony, Fangs, Tony, or the rest of the serpents for the rest of the episode. So I guess we just sort of put them over there in their own plot line. So they're just searching for the heads. Meanwhile, Tabitha and Jughead come in and they're like, hey, we have a new plan because of Jughead's whole sob story speech. We have a new plan now. Our odds are better at beating Percival in Rivervale since magic and the supernatural exist there. So did Tabitha go to Rivervale and like travel through time and figure out like all the different possible scenarios or is she just guessing? I don't know. I don't know really know how she has time to do that. I don't know that if she went into, if she went into Rivervale and searched through all these possible scenarios, did they then just pick one? And is that the plan that we're going to see at the final stand? Was there a chance that that plan was ever not going to work? Because she said their odds are better, but she doesn't say like, hey, we have a foolproof plan that wins all the time. I don't really know. Unclear. So she said what they're going to do is they're going to speed up time to move Pops back to its original location. At first, I was like, why aren't we, why are we doing this? I also did not understand why she doesn't just slow down time or reverse time for them to move everything back. But I guess just so we could have a quick speed montage of them moving. I also did love Reggie's line where he's like, man, even in fast speed, moving sucks. Because I guess to them, they still had to like go through the motions to do everything. I don't really know how that works. Also, Tabitha just gets to like walk around using her power, doesn't actually have to help in the move. But I do understand why they're doing this at least. This is going to come into like the trap, the trick play that Jughead's going to do, which is why they need to be in a building that looks like Pops in the location that Pops is in. And then Jughead says that everybody is going to go to their own houses to regroup and recharge. And I guess that's when Jughead's writing all of this down. I guess in case he dies that they have a record of it. I don't know. All right, now let's get to the final stand. Percival and Alice. Alice, nope, Alice is dead. Sorry, Percival and Archie 
fight in front of Pops with a mace and a like the magic mace and a baseball bat. I don't know why Archie chose the baseball bat, but I guess it's just like his go-to weapon of choice. Meanwhile, Veronica, Cheryl, Betty, and Reggie are all just kind of like creepily staring out the window at Pops and Percival like notes them, but he knocks Archie down. He's like, ah ha ha first defeat Archie, now defeat everyone else. And then he looks in the window and they're not there. And so they all like grouped up around him and they take turns beating him up with brass knuckles and the baseball bat. And they're like, okay, do you want to surrender? And he's like, no, I refuse. I'm never going to surrender. And then he like magic some fog to come around him. And once the fog disappears, it says that they turn, that like Percival somehow turned all of their powers against them. If he could do this the whole time, why didn't he just do this the whole time? This seems like really overpowered magic. Why have we never seen this before? So I guess Betty's power turning against her is that she's now blind. So she had like some sort of extra sight with the auras, but now she's blinded. Veronica is laying on the ground poisoned. Cheryl has turned to ice. Archie is an iron statue. That's very confusing about how that's turning his powers against him, but okay. And Reggie is a life-size dummy. Now, I'm assuming that Reggie's power here was the, like, power Percival gave him to speak through a dummy that one time. Like, was that an actual power? I thought that was just, like, a little temporary thing. I don't know. This kind of, it's just kind of odd. It's like, okay, he's just like a life-size doll. Meanwhile, Jughead is waiting inside the diner. Unclear whether or not Percival can see Jughead through the window. I don't really know how the portals work, but Percival's gonna walk inside the diner, see the ghosts sort of standing over by the counter, and then he just goes over to where Jughead has set up what he says is like a game. There's like a row of dominoes sort of forming a wall between each of them and then like one domino in the middle. I don't really know what the purpose of that is. That's supposed to be some sort of symbolism for the mind game they're about to do. It's very Princess Bride because Percival's like, ah, yes, I've been so excited to play a game of wits with you. So they're gonna each try to break into each other's mind. Jughead fails to get into Percival's mind. I don't even know why he tried. But Percival breaks into Jughead's. We see that same door again with all the pictures of like Tabitha and Betty and I think Jellybean. And then there's several pictures of like two young people in different groups. I don't know who those are supposed to be. Is that like young Jughead and Betty? Is that like young Tabitha and somebody? Um, There's the picture of Skeet Ulrich. So got all those pictures. But Percival, after a little bit of effort, is able to break into the room again. And he starts grabbing comic books and tearing up the memories. We see like the memory of Jughead spray painting Jughead was here on the drive-in theater disappear. A memory of Jughead and Tabitha kissing disappearing. I thought at first that this was going to really lead into like something for Jughead in the future of like who he might end up with in terms of Betty or Tabitha based on like the memories that get ripped up. But it doesn't really seem to go that way unless, I mean, what do I know? Maybe it will. (laughs) Maybe they'll uh, elaborate more on that in future episodes, but I kind of doubt it. So then Jughead walks up behind him and he's like, oh, you man, you got in here really fast. And Percival's like, yeah, well, I have done this before. And Jughead's like, yeah, that's um, that's how I came up with this plan, which really throws Percival for a loop. He's like, what do you mean plan? Plan, trick, trap. Take your pick, says, while you've been in here in my mind, you've left your body defenseless and my friends will have beat you up by now. And Percival's like, um, excuse me, I'm invulnerable and don't you know, in all the scenarios, you can't beat me in Riverdale. And he's like, yeah, but see, that's the thing. My friends aren't the ones who you think they are. They're a different group of friends. And also we're not in Riverdale anymore. We've moved your body to Rivervale. And so we go back to the diner in Rivervale where Percival is like slumped in his chair and he's all covered with blood and stab wounds. And the group 
of all of the Riverdale characters are sort of sitting around, spinning the little daggers, looking at him. And Percy was like, what? And he's like, yeah, let me just explain. We're in Rivervale. I put a portal on the door of Pops. So when you entered Pops, you actually entered Rivervale. And then Tabitha grabs Percival because he's like, well, I'm immortal. And she's like, yeah, well, 440 years ago, you were very much mortal before you made the deal with the devil. So she brings him back to 1580 and she kind of throws Percival's like injured body in front of Cypher who's there. And she's like, here, I brought Percival back to you. I don't know how she contacted Cypher or whatever, but whatever. And Percival tries to get out of the whole situation by being like, well, if I'm not immortal, then I haven't sold my soul to you yet. And the devil's like, yeah, that's not how this contract works. Uh, I'm going to just take care of you anyway. And Tabitha's like, haha, don't look at me. I'm terrible at time paradoxes, but that's just how things roll in Rivervale. I guess that was the writer's way of being like, hey, you know how you were trying to map out on a whiteboard what the heck was going on in Rivervale and you couldn't do it because it was so confusing? Yeah, don't try. Uh, Riverdale or Rivervale is just full of time paradoxes. Oh, well. So I guess I'm off the hook for trying to understand what on earth is going on in Rivervale. And then Cypher takes Percival to hell. But right before he does that, Percival starts doing some sort of chant in Latin. And he's like, if I can't have Riverdale, nobody can. Again, why does he care so much about Riverdale? Like Rivervale was the place you were trying to destroy. Why are you trying to destroy Riverdale? How does his powers in Rivervale affect anything in Riverdale? You would think that they'd be limited to that area, but I don't know. So we go back to Riverdale at the end of the episode. Everyone's alive again. They're all celebrating. They're all uh, putting the missing heads that Tony and Fangs found. Dr. Curdle reattaches the heads to the body. Cheryl brings back the loved ones. But back at Thornhill, Heather's like, there's something super wrong with the comet. Cheryl looks at the telescope and we kind of know what's going to happen with this. So I'll just skip ahead. She says the comet is heading straight for them, probably based on the spell that Percival did as he was being taken to hell. And the destruction Tabitha saw in the previous episodes of an apocalypse in the future was actually the comet's destruction, which I guess would lead to believe that, yeah, I guess, I guess that would lead to believe that like, even if they beat Percival or that Percival was always going to be spiteful and call the comet down on them. So maybe they won in a lot of scenarios. I don't know. It's kind of confusing. Meanwhile, while that's happening, Jughead says he feels a little foggy, but relieved, but he's confused about why he's still alive if Tabitha saw him die in every scenario she thought it was a fixed point like a thing that was always going to happen and she's like yeah maybe because i was only exploring scenarios in riverdale that's why that happened but not in rivervale the way that they left this scene did not feel very final to me so i'm still not convinced that jughead's not going to die either in the next episode or next season i still think it's possible i just feel like we've had too many conversations about jughead potentially dying that this didn't feel like the final summation like oh of course you're not going to die because we survived it because of the whole Rivervale thing. The Cooper family reunites. I uh, don't get any scene of Alice being like, oh my gosh, how is Polly back alive? Because they can't give us big emotional moments. Can't have that. Can't have Percival realizing that Archie's still alive. The big Keller, Fogarty, Topaz, Mason families all chilling together, including adult baby Anthony, who we don't see Tom Keller say anything about. Archie and Frank are sitting on a porch. We don't get any kind of conversation with them. Like, I just want something from Alice, Tom, or Frank to be like, hey, sorry we tried to kill you multiple times. Sorry we were mind-controlled. 
we were, you know, doing some horrible things. Clearly we were, we didn't listen to any of you about how Percival could do this. Like that, that would all be nice. Maybe we'll get it next episode. But again, I just, I just don't buy it. So they're all wondering, will our powers last forever? Will the dead remain alive? Is the threat really gone? And that's when we find out about the comet thing that I already talked about. So everything is circling around. We're closing in on the final episode stuff. And hopefully we get some of the things answered. Hopefully some of my qualms will be, uh, I don't know, at least discussed, but I kind of doubt it. Okay, title of the episode, The Stand. The Stand, of course, is a post-apocalyptic dark fantasy novel written by American author Stephen King. It was published in 1978. I've never read it, but my dad talks about it a lot. Also, just looking at the cover art for the cover of the book, it's got like a person all dressed in white with a sword fighting against, I don't know, what looks like maybe a devil kind of creature in uh, with like a scythe kind of looking weapon. So it's, it's very symbolic of the Archie Percival fight. The book is about a deadly pandemic of weaponized influenza and its aftermath on humanity, in which the few surviving humans gather into factions that are each led by a personification of either good or evil, and seem fated to clash with each other. So I think it's pretty clear based on the fact that they mention the final stand against Percival many times in this episode, and also just the whole idea of a clash between good and evil. Obviously, pretty good name for the episode, especially after the last couple, which were a little bit more just like, take a thing and then plug Riverdale into it, like Return to Rivervale or The Riches of Riverdale. Kind of glad that we got a more interesting title. Back to the old format. In terms of most normal character, my top choices are Twyla Twist or potentially Polly Cooper. I think Polly, even though she was barely in the episode, telling Betty like not to give in to her rage, seeming kind of concerned when Betty uh, killed a reanimated corpse of her old boss with a chainsaw. Um, I, I liked Polly in general in this episode. I'm really skeptical of her, especially because we haven't seen the fallout between like maybe she's going to be mad at Cheryl for bringing her and Jason back and then killing Jason. Like, hey, I was happy with him in the sweet hereafter. Maybe in the next episode, I think what probably would be right is for Cheryl to somehow like send her back to heaven. That would probably be nice. But I kind of like having this version of Polly around. And then the Twilight Twist thing, I think it was just kind of like, she's not magical. She's not powerful. She's just sort of normal acting herself and does question Percival in terms of the whole like, hey, we can't just have these mind control newbies like fight. They probably won't win. I don't know if she died though. So I don't know if I can give it to her, but I'm just going to give it to both of them. We'll ask Kirsten what she thinks about my <laughs> most normal person choices for the last couple episodes. Okay, well, that's all for this week's episode. I know it was another shorter one, but that's what you get when it's just me talking. And even me talking for like 45 minutes felt like a lot <laughs> to me, at least in the real time. It's a lot of talking. Thank you for joining me. And I'll be back next week for the finale, season six, episode 22. We're so close to the home stretch, and it's going to be nice to have a little bit of a break after this season with everything else that's going on. Of course, myself and Kirsten have both been covering Big Brother 24 over on Rob as a podcast. You can follow me everywhere at Frail Mary and Kirsten everywhere at Kirsten Said What to see what we're doing respectively in the podcasting community as well as like the Twitch gaming community and I don't know, check out our Instagrams if you want to. Kirsten is covering Love Island at the moment as well as you can check out BoJack Horse Pod. You can also check out Mess Magnets either on the Rob as a podcast feed or on the Mess Magnets feed. 
if you want to check out Kirsten talking some pop culture with Sasha Joseph. Really great podcast. It's very, very fun. If you're someone like me who doesn't really follow a lot of pop culture stuff, it's a really great way to kind of get that dose without having to read magazines or look at articles online or even go through Twitter. You can kind of get it all in one place. And I feel so much more clued into the wild things that are happening among celebrities and the celebrity gossip. So definitely check out Mess Magnets. You can also check out the coverage I did of the Umbrella Academy seasons one, two, and three over on Post Show Recaps. And also most recently was released the episode of Snake in the Grass that I covered with Rob Sesternino and Puyaze Michele over on Rob as a Podcast. Definitely check that out as well. Also on the Rob as a Podcast Instagram and Twitter and uh, TikTok, they've been putting up some funny clips of myself as Pooch from Big Brother 24. So if you haven't checked those out, definitely do that. All right, I think that's all. Hope everyone's enjoying their summer. Get ready for the finale. Until next time.